into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America. As long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. It goes to that whole thing of like, um, they have all these rules for what, how you treat comics, but it depends on what you define to be a comic. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, <laughs> you might decide these are the rules in this situation for Jimmy, let's say. But are you going to feel that way about Jake or about, so, you know, like... Yeah. I've, I've been woman? trying to figure out what it is. And I think it's like every... it's If they have to do comic versus comic, then it's like, who's the more powerful comic or something? Yeah. Or like who's considered to be like the big, big shot or whatever? Yeah, I don't know what it is. Because it's funny because it always reminds me of... Uh, Planet of the Apes when they're like monkey no kill monkey yeah. <laughs> it's like such a dumb rule yeah. anyways hello everyone and welcome to pod damn America the gothic socialist podcast that's being talked <laughs> about all over compound media subreddits and forums um, <laughs> <laughs> the bane of subreddit pod damn America uh, or subreddits I'm Jake Flores, and uh, today I've got another edition of our comedy bullshit episodes uh, that we like to do with our our best friend in the biz, Luisa Diaz. Welcome. Hi, Jake. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Thanks for coming on back. Um, I thought you said having my back, and I was like, thank you, too, because we're... <laughs> because I keep showing up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You're the only one who hasn't abandoned me and thrown me. I have uh, the calm down subreddit. I have no sense of self-preservation when it comes to a career <laughs> in comedy. <laughs> Me neither. Um, today, I uh, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things. I threw together kind of an abstract uh, show, and um, both of these things have been out for a minute. And so, like, you know, you might, if you're listening, ask, you know, well, why the fuck talk about this now? Um, I don't know. The first one <laughs> is the Aziz Ansari special that just came out. It's called Right Now. It's on Netflix. Um, I think Twitter kind of had its day with it, and then it, it kind of just went away. And it's just sort of rolled back into the dredges of Netflix. Nothing really happened. Right. Um, the other one is the movie Midsummer, the Ari Aster horror film, which I've talked about a little bit on the podcast. When it first came out, I didn't want to spoil it. Um, but I feel like now, like it's been out long enough to where everyone knows yeah. the, the memes and shit. And um, I also like I almost felt like the time passed to talk about this movie, which uh, which sucks because I thought we were the most on brand podcast to talk about <laughs> it because we're into horror and shit. But um, over films, over film podcasts, over everyone. Uh, well, I mean, just like our corner of the like left, yeah. like okay, okay, podcast world. Everyone did a Midsummer episode this year because, uh -huh. you know, obviously Hereditary was such a fucking hot movie last year that I think, like, you know, everyone caught on. Yeah. Um, this shit happens, like, with, with art that's really good and when it's in its, like, sophomore mm -hmm. form. Like, fucking yeah. everyone was really into Mitski last year for some reason. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, what the fuck? I listened to this shit, like, 10 years ago. Okay. Um, You're very cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had that fucking annoying ego thing where it's not I'm the only person that's supposed to know this. But anyway. <laughs> 
Midsummer. Fucking everyone did a Midsummer episode against everyone with Connor Habib. Uh, our friends Red Scare did a Midsummer episode. Really? The Horror Vanguard. <laughs> well, they do cultural critique, oh, as right, you know. Right, that's, I'm sorry. that's what they do. Yeah. Um, the Horror Vanguard, which makes sense because they're a, like a horror so- socialist podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a million. Uh, obviously, Struggle Session. They do. They also do cultural critique. Right. <laughs> um, so there's there's not a lot of new b- ground to break. I do have some thoughts on this film though that uh, I would like to get out anyway, um, and that I didn't hear on a lot of these other shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but mainly, it crossed my mind when I was thinking about both of these things. I was biking around the other day that they have something in common, in that. Mm-hmm. So Midsummer, if uh, if you just watched it and you kind of didn't, f- if you aren't familiar with the director, you might not have caught exactly what's going on because it. It is a little confusing. It's a little bit of a clunky film. It doesn't seem like it's quite executed the way it should be. Okay. And um, and the just the the themes are really weird. And I didn't really understand it until I read afterwards, like why Ari Aster made it. Oh, why did he make it? He went through a breakup, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> like got dumped or dumped. Uh, he got dumped. Okay. I believe. Um, and I think he felt really remorseful about it. Okay. And so he felt like a bad little boy, you know? And so he made a movie where the main character is this guy who's not good to his girlfriend. And then the horror part of the movie is that he gets fucking got, right? Yeah. And I... Hearing that makes it worse to me now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I I like the movie less. (laughs) It's really weird because Midsummer is like, um... It's, you know, it's really, this guy clearly swings for the fences, everything he does. It's yeah. really ambitious. He's doing this thing, you know, horror in the, in the light, like kind right. of the bizarre sort of like acid trippy horror. Or yeah. More like mu- this movie is more about mushroom trips or whatever, but like that sort of thing, you know, it's not so much jump scares and it's, it's like imagery that's supposed to be like really moody and disturbing, yeah. which is like cool. That's very Kubrickian in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie itself is funny because, like, Hereditary was, you know, lightning in a bottle. Like, he somehow knocked it out of the park with this movie. Okay. And if you follow the way he makes movies, that he filmed, like, eight hours of shit for Hereditary and then cut it down to, like, what, two and a half or oh, whatever. Okay. And was able to carve this story out of it that was, like, kind of avant-garde and, like, half of it was a drama and people were really confused about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that he felt a little weird about like having that argument after that movie came out because it was kind of divisive. People were like, ah, it's too much of a drama. I don't want to watch a Lifetime original movie. Okay. You know, I want to watch a horror movie. So he makes Midsummer very deliberately just just to be like a, a folk horror, like a bunch of dumb kids right. go camping and then they get got by the monster sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But he does it in his style, which is very artsy and very dramatic. Yeah. And the whole thing just is weird. And I imagine that he filmed like or I think he did film like a lot of extra footage and then okay. cut it back down to make this movie. But because he was sort of going for this cathartic thing where he worked his personal life into it, mm-hmm. it ended up being like this this badly executed like kind okay. of personal thing. I see where we're going with the Aziz comparison right. then. Okay. Right. Because you, uh, for a minute there, I was a little worried. I was like, what are, what are we talking about here? Because there's also the... You know, uh, with the with movies, a lot of times, or mostly people talk about them as being like a product of the director's mind more than anything, or maybe yeah. the writer and the director, or especially if it's the same person who did both. But in in the Aziz special, one of the things that stuck out to me was 
and, and I think about it, I thought about it, I think we talked about it with Gerard and Drew Michael too, of like, at what point is it Aziz's vision and at what point is it Spike Jones's vision? Right. And I be like, I literally went to uh, Spike Jones's Wikipedia to see like the other things he had directed because I was like, I don't think this dude has directed stand up before. So I like went to find it and he's done a bunch of shit like commercials and music videos and movies and all this stuff. Yeah. But I couldn't find anything that was coming, so I just tweeted about it to ask, like, do, you know, whatever. And then uh, a couple of people, a comic and a, a podcast festival producer responded like, no, you know, and they gave me more information of other stuff he did. But no, he's never done stand-up. But then, you know, how much, I mean, obviously they work together, right? But then how much of, we'd have to think about this Ari Aster as kind of like two, a two-headed monster, right? Where like right. the personal story that's being interwoven is the SD's part. And then like the way that it's being presented to us seems spike jonesy well you know what it kind of is like that though because yeah. and this is like really like in the interviews he mm -hmm. does this is buried kind yeah. of and, and played down but i don't think this was his original idea this movie it okay. was pitched to him by somebody else uh -huh. after the success of hereditary like do you want to take this, this script story, yeah and so then he did weird artistic shit with it yeah. where he like dumped his personal conflict into I the see. fucking movie right okay. so he is kind of like interacting with another yeah. person's work in a weird way and I think that's why it was like kind of oddly um, I don't know I mean it was it was oddly executed it was you know it was ambitious and also like I don't think that it, it just like it didn't resonate because Sometimes when you create something and you make it too personal, mm -hmm. then it's not, it doesn't do what art is supposed to do, where yeah. it's like, you know, it connects your personal thing with these like archetypes and common experiences. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. I think he, ju he just kind of like, it just, it just kind of is all over the place. It's still yeah. like, I found it like visually amazing and I still, you know, can't stop thinking about it. And it's, it's interesting. It was very imperfect to me though. Um, you know what's funny is like I think before we started recording I told you like I'm so bad with movies and I fucking forget them as soon as I watch them I, I probably multiple times a year I watch a whole movie like in an hour in I'm like wait a minute I already seen this movie and yeah. it's, so, it's like almost over and I'm like well I might as well see the rest <laughs> um, so I'm terrible but when you first proposed that you wanted to talk about this combo, I was like, hmm, I couldn't like draw the connection. And I was like, I have no idea where Jake is going with this. But now you've like jogged my memory and something else jumped out at me, which is um, like, interestingly, when I saw Midsummer, what it what I thought it was about was this like weird um, critique of academia or academic well, anthropology of course yeah so you know i'm an anthropologist so that's the fucking lens and frame that i'm seeing it through and here's what i'm seeing right uh, at least one of them was an anthropology student oh no two of them right uh, maybe not the third but the black guy and the bad boyfriend right the, the guys have that weird constructed conflict in the middle of it yeah over their thesis or whatever it's so weird but it wasn't just that because it's um so I had a hard time seeing as like the impetus for punishment being like you're a bad boyfriend or a bad person or whatever. It was actually that they were bad anthropologists <laughs> because like, so to me, the plot of this movie was these um, graduate student anthropologists are about to have like the break before the year where they have to do their thesis. One of them is planning to take a trip with somebody else that he met to go see what idea he could get for his thesis. And his idea is that he's going to bring his friend and his roommate and his 
friend's girlfriend, right? So yeah. now it's like a spring break <laughs> kind of like <laughs> situation, but you're also going to do study a culture, right? That's your idea. So that's extremely unethical. So you show up with your vacation team <laughs> to like try to study this group. And then as soon as they do, the one that's not an anthropologist literally peed on their altar. Do you on remember the, that? On the elder tree. Yeah. yeah. So there's like... <laughs> you didn't know that? It's like a big dead no, tree. No, I know. But this is what I mean. It's like it wasn't even like uh, artfully like uh, hinted at. It was like full, just like the worst version. So there's the guy that pees on everything, the hitting on the women inappropriately, like yeah. full just bad anthropological everything. The one that we are thinking at first, uh, Chidi, right, from the, I forgot what he's called in... in Chris, uh, Christian, the main Christian, guy? Christian, no, the black guy. Oh, the black guy. Uh, I forgot his name. I don't remember any of their <laughs> names, know, to be like honest with you. Two weeks ago. Uh, yeah, I don't remember movies. Um, and but racism. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> the guy that had the original idea to write the thesis, huh? Good description. He, <laughs> the fellow. <laughs> that fellow. Who? Remember that he, um, he has the idea, right? And then he goes and like approaches an elder or like somebody to try to get permission to study them through like with their accepted you know with their permission right yeah and when they say no you can't look at the book he fucking sneaks into their temple and like desecrates their shit by looking at it and taking photographs and then he gets murdered like immediately after and so i'm yeah. just being like yes you deserve that <laughs> like watching this like <laughs> horrific thing happening and um so i say this all to say right that the connection I see between that, the way that I saw Midsummer and the Z's thing is that weirdly, you know how they say like in, inside baseball is bad, right? You're, you're not supposed to be like talking about shit that is so like inside insular to a particular group or community or industry that nobody else would get it, right? Of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> we do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. So Midsummer, in the way that I read it, is it did have this weird like storyline and critique that only people in like academic social sciences would have picked up on of like the unethical person who tries to steal your thesis and the person the egos involved in there. Like it wasn't about pursuing science and getting to know these people. It was about them getting the best thesis, you know, and being right. the first one to land this strange people and whatever. So that was like a weird inside baseball thing that I don't even know if it was on purpose by the original writer. And now that you told me it wasn't written by Ari Aster, I'd like suspect that it is purposeful, that whoever wrote it did have that purpose. Yeah. But I connect this to Aziz because, you know, in comedy, it's like, I should say it used to be kind of an accepted belief that you shouldn't do comedy about comedy, right? Like, um, I don't know if comics agreed with that, but... I would say industry did feel generally like comedy about comedy doesn't really work. Yeah, well, it's un unsellable. It's sure. unsellable, exactly. You're only playing to the back of the room. It's only like a reference to other comics. It's also, know? in my opinion, fairly unartistic, unless you just really lean yeah. into it and become a, like a like a commentary, like a comic. There's exceptions. Comic. There's like exceptions. Andy yeah, there, exactly. He's there's great. exceptions who can hone it and make it a thing, but in general, like having a random bit in the middle of whatever else you do that is just about like how this joke doesn't work when I do it wherever, or like yeah. whatever, you know? It's cringy. It's cringy and it's weird. And so that's a vibe that I did get from the Aziz special is yeah. that it was like self-referential to comedy in so many ways that, I mean, I don't know. Are we ready to talk about Aziz? Let me do <laughs> yeah, no, one more finish. thing about Midsummer, yeah. and then I'm going to fucking go back into Aziz because we go need to it. really talk about the Aziz thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other thing that maybe connect these two things is exactly what you're describing with these college kids, right? Okay. These like um, you know grad students rather. Um, 
I think that something that was weird about Midsummer is that it couldn't decide what type of horror it wanted to be. It wanted to be kind of like lowbrow and highbrow at the same time. And because you had this cast of like goofball, like like young kids that are obviously deliberately being sent to the slaughter, Mm -hmm. that is a trope from like Friday the 13th movies where they're slashers, where it's supposed to be fun that they get killed, but then it wanted to be this serious disturbing thing. And that's why it's so weird. But... In that, if you're going to follow the trope of, you know, these kids getting what what is coming to them, there is kind of a parallel where, like, I think those horror movies probably probably should be coming back. <laughs> they probably would play well in today's, yeah. like, cultural climate because, you know, everyone is so anti, like, campus culture and shit. Mm-hmm. All the fucking triggered guys, like, you know, yeah. hate, like, uh, people that are overly political and politically correct and all that stuff. And... You see that a little bit in uh, in Aziz, right? Okay. And uh, and the the other thing that happens in Midsummer is um, there's a trope they deliberately try to avoid, which is mm-hmm. having the black guy die first. Oh, right, he, right, right. He technically doesn't, but the movie's like it goes out of its way to do that and then falls back on its face, right? But isn't his the one the first one we see? It's the first one we see dies. Yeah. Which is, is like... Still makes it the first one, kind of. still basically... we don't really know for sure that the other people are dead until the end. What happens is the, the guy Joshua, I think his name is, he pisses on the tree. The pisser? Okay. And then one of the fucking women comes up to him and is like, I need to show you something right, in the she woods. Right, he wants to act like she's going to fuck him. He disappears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then when we see the black dude get killed and his head gets smashed with a hammer, <laughs> camera goes up, and it looks like the dead guy killed him. What's actually happening is, according to Ari Aster, it's a cult member who's wearing, wearing the first it. guy's skin, which is a thing that like, Nor- uh, like Vikings used to do, right, called right, right. necro pants, where you would like skin a person and then just like, wear them as a suit. And, Look at my new shoot pants or whatever. Um, so he incorporated all this weird shit into it. And like honestly, when he interviews about it, he's like, yeah, part of it's comedy or whatever. I'm fucking whatever. Um, like your movie didn't work. Uh, um, but anyways... I think that that like type of horror kind of plays to some extent because like the crowd I was in or the audience yeah. it's too, too much comedy right yeah. the audience I was in when I watched Midsummer was like laughing at shit like that yeah. and I was like oh this is like I do think it's funny this yeah. is market tested or something yeah. like this is people do want to see college students die you know yeah I think so I mean I got to tell you I did read it I did see it as like uh, because of the way that I was reading it with the academics or like the bad anthropology yeah. I laughed when they died, and I was like, was genuinely like, yes, kill that motherfucker. They're all bad. Even, uh, even the girl. I was like, all of them. You should all die. And I was more disappointed that it wasn't more like slashery. And I guess I was less interested by the fancy, you know, like the like the aesthetics of it. And I wasn't that interested by any of that. Well, here's my final yeah. kind of thesis on why these two things are mm-hmm. together, right? They, I think both of these, these things, Midsummer and Aziz's, uh, right now, yeah, fail because they try to, they try to be all things at once, things that overlap with each other and cancel each other out. Okay. So Midsummer being like, um, uh, you know, an art film and a lowbrow slasher mm-hmm. and a you know cathartic thing all at the same time, and this Aziz special as being like. I just I feel like he contradicts himself a bunch of times. He totally does, yeah. Because he starts off this special by, um, like, we've talked about this before with like Louis mm-hmm. C.K. thing, where like the worst thing that Louis C.K. did 
after he got me too is mm-hmm. not talk about it. He avoided the subject. It sucks to watch. Yeah. It's he seems like a coward. Totally. And he seems like he's pandering to like reactionary fucking Republicans and conservatives and shit like that. Yeah. Or those types of audiences. Or entirely lost his voice that he had before. Yeah. And just cannot reclaim it so far. So I turned on this Aziz special like fully expecting for him mm-hmm. to pull some shit like that. And to his credit, he does start okay. the fucking special off by addressing the thing. And like this is not a high bar for him mm-hmm. to have passed, but I was like... <laughs> At the, least he didn't pretend it didn't happen, yeah, you mean? <laughs> yeah, At least he didn't fucking go around the country and pretend uh, it didn't totally. happen. Totally. Well, you know? continue with like the things that contradict themselves. Well, okay, so he really tells... I mean, honestly, like, it's weird. Mm-hmm. I am not a fan of Aziz's stand-up, yeah. but I think he somehow got better at it like in maybe just it's been an amount of time or he's been learning some shit. Yeah. There's some stuff he does in this special that I don't dislike that I'm like, I agree. There are some well executed jokes and this, the way he's telling the story, even the Hassan joke at the front was funny. It's funny. It's yeah, a good way of fucking it. framing yeah, yeah. what happened to him and shit. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so in the, this, this bit up front where he's like, I'm going to talk about what happened. I'm going to do this low voice thing. And then the high voice thing. Right. And then he, you know, he makes a joke about like, that wasn't me. That was Hassan. Yeah. Like, that sort of leads you to believe this is going to be an entire introspective work about, you know, where you're yeah. at now. But he immediately goes, Cut. okay, we did we're it. Starting. Now we're going to do <laughs> yeah. what I just want to do. And then the jokes he goes into after that are often more reactionary bullshit. Yeah, totally. They're more just like, oh, these fucking kids in the yeah. colleges are too political. White people, you know. Yeah, but look, even before we go into like more of the actual material and like things said and whatnot um the we we have to talk about like the different the way that both of these things were presented because they were presented in completely different ways it's like uh weird that they put them together i don't know uh it really made me think like uh you know i put them together (laughs) yeah (laughs) no no not the the movie i mean um i mean aziz's like first six minutes and then that oh i follow you yeah so um, when it starts, it starts from this like, uh, like per- one man camera following him into the arena or the theater or whatever, and like walking through the st- streets of the city, and you know we're getting like the intimate vibe, but it's not in this way of like the Chris Rock way where it's like I'm so cool, I'm on my way to my show. It's like in a very like oh, I'm just a regular guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, it's to Lou me. Reed's pale blue eyes. Yes, which is so weird of a choice if Dude, you just got me too. The, <laughs> the whole thing, and it's like slightly um, like with a soft focus filter, and then you know he gets to the theater, he sits on a stool. And then one of the first things that he does is immediately acknowledge or reference the cameraman standing in front of him with a camera like up close. And then, you know, the big camera pans out and like shows the guy standing in front of him. And so he does that breaking the fourth wall or whatever thing of like, this is what we're going to do now, guys. Yes, we all see this camera guy here. And then they cut to the point of view of that camera right in front of him. So it's like a close up angle. And what you see in the background is not curtains or a backdrop that's expensive and fancy and beautiful you actually see the like backstage doorways with like silhouettes of people standing and attentively watching him talk in this way that is supposed to be at least in my opinion the way it fucking reads is 
watch watch what I'm about to say right now. <laughs> like you're my friend. Like you're watching the show from the side of the stage yeah. and hanging out with me because we're regular cool people who are the same. And he touches multiple times throughout the special on like the idea that it could happen to any of us. Yeah, and yeah, we're yeah. all assholes <laughs> deep down. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, people are all flawed, but not everybody's out there fucking grabbing people and doing shit like that. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> so... It, it is this like very disingenuous and I don't know, you know, like he could have genuine feelings of growth and remorse. He did talk about, um, I guess, thinking that he's like a better person. I don't know. But the way it present it's presented, it's like device after device to be just like, come on in. Believe me, like this is the opposite. Like if you think yeah. of Aziz's specials before this. Oh, yeah. They're all just Randy and shit. But even the, the way they're presented, it's like opulence and like fancy clothing. And <laughs> I'm friends with famous people and I take limos to like full yeah. brag about how wonderful and fancy his life is. Not how accessible it is. Not how he's just like you. Not understand my totally. point. You know? And so this was so strange to me to just suddenly... You know, everybody commented on the low voice, the low speaking thing. But to me, I was like, before he even spoke, dude, it was like set up as just like, <laughs> I'm about to open up to you and you should see me as just one of one of you guys. The other funny thing is yeah. that like following an era of comedy where his thing was he decided he was going to be like the comedian mm -hmm. who talks about modern romance yeah. and wears a fucking suit and shit and does this like classic shit. He immediately like can't be that yeah. guy anymore because he's been proven to not be yeah. an authority on romance clearly yeah um and then he also is wearing like a metallica t-shirt which I is know. like a very put on like i'm just a normal guy dude yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> nothing uh, going totally. on over here no totally no and and you know and personally i think like he always had a problem with like um his expression seeming genuine because it seemed like a like very rehearsed storytelling is what he did you yeah. know so a lot of times with uh, storytellers, like they memorize the facial expression that should go with this particular part of the story. And you can kind of pick up that it's uh, like it's not really genuinely the expression you're having right now, unless you're really good at it. Right. Yeah. And this now, like to me, the let's call it the apology part. It's not really an apology. Let's say the acknowledgement, <laughs> the acknowledgement part at the beginning. The was, Star Wars. Yeah, call the, exactly. Um, he. Um, Wait, what was I saying? Well, I totally forgot. I started thinking about Star Wars. <laughs> I'm the worst. You're talking about uh, when he's seeming genuine or oh, rehearsed yeah. story. So then during that uh, vignette at the beginning, he like uh, doesn't read super genuine to me, but not in this way of like, you don't believe, like not you're trying to lie to us, let's say. Not like yeah. disingenuous, but like, have you ever seen, well, I don't even know if you would have noticed this, but like comics when they're very new... Right. A lot of them tend to like lean heavy on jokes that are like addressing things that they think they have to address because it's what the audience is thinking about. So like it leads oh, to yeah. a lot of like what I look like jokes and this yeah, is yeah, my, yeah. my voice is like and this is and you know well, what the, I mean? the Dan Ninen joke. Yeah. I, have you ever been to stand up for diversity auditions? Everyone does the Dan Ninen joke. Yeah. Wait, wait what's the Dan Dan Ninen? You know who he is, right? Yeah. Yeah. But what's the joke? that His like famous joke is like I'm half. Japanese and half Indian, so I got my sushi at 7-Eleven. Oh, okay. But, like, literally, I, yes, I, I don't exactly, know if this is still a formula. thing, but, yeah. like, every single person, I noticed this early yeah. on in stand-up, because I, I had actually some in, someone in the industry yeah. kind of point this out to me, and it fucking it blew my mind. Yeah. And he was like, amateurs always go up, and they talk about themselves. Yeah. And 
fucking you watch like Stephen Wright come out and he doesn't go, I'm half Irish or whatever. No, he just starts telling jokes. It's just right? a joke, yeah. And mm-hmm. and everyone when they talk about themselves tends to like people aren't that interesting. So we yeah. all just have the same thoughts about shit. And yeah. We'll, like start with your ethnicity or whatever. Totally. No, and I've had, you know, I've mentioned this to like uh, veteran comics that are like over twenty years and a lot of them take the point of view of like it's a necessary part to like finding your voice is to like get through all of these jokes you think you have to do, right? Sure. And honestly, that doesn't mean there are no good jokes about what people look like or whatever. I'm talking about a particular formula. But um, the the way that Aziz was like saying his acknowledgement part of the situation read like he is saying this because he thinks he has to, not because he wants to. <laughs> you understand? So like in this way of like when a comic comes up and it's just like, yeah, I know I'm tall. And then it's like, yeah, you've, I could tell you have said that 600 times on stage yeah. and you think that's the way to start this set and you just want to get past that to your real jokes, but you don't know how to just get to your real jokes. I have a friend who started doing stand-up with yeah. his tattoo his entire body to look like a lizard. Oh, and, uh, I know that guy. I mean, yeah. I've seen him around. Yeah. <laughs> he got tired of doing stand-up because yeah. he was unable to escape that. Every uh, set had to be like, yeah, of course, I'm yeah, green, you know, totally. No, and At least but, I think that's but, why he quit. I don't know. But that's not true because imagine if he like had an amazing five minutes of tight ass jokes and he never once mentioned the fact well, that he's I've fucking told green. This story a lot on the show, yeah. but my take on it was that when he first started, he had yeah. a lot of great jokes. Like, okay. go, as a person of color, etc. <laughs> like right? Yeah. But I think he got bored of doing those jokes, right. and he his true thing he wanted to talk about was yeah. politics but I always it didn't work my take on it at least yeah. is that it, it was always really weird when you would just be in the Velveeta room and there would be like an organic audience in there yeah. and we all know him and then this green human would just walk <laughs> on stage and just go like Mitch McConnell let yeah, me tell you yeah. something and they would all everyone in the audience would be like are you going to explain what's going yeah. on with your face like no I know and you have a point because I do think that's the situation Aziz is in is like I think he feels or he felt at the time they decided to do this special this way that he couldn't get up on stage and do a special without addressing this shit. Well, that also happens when you're famous. Right. Yeah. But Louis got up and didn't address it. You know what I mean? So Yeah, but people like, that's the, when you... Pe- not because that, he was and pandering... And also, wait, not that it's the same things that they did, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But because, like, Louis was pandering to reactionary people. Yeah. So, like, it was addressed by him not yeah. addressing it. They were like, fuck That's yeah. True. Like, yeah, you're right. don't fucking cower to these cancel yeah. culture people, you know? Yeah, totally. Like, you there was probably not a lot of people in the room that were just like, oh, Louis C.K., yeah. yeah. I haven't heard from him in a minute. I have no idea what happened, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, hmm. I don't know. Overall, I just thought it was weird and really, like, uh, packaged that beginning part. And then <laughs> it just, like you said, like, suddenly, like, one one joke cut change of camera and like full tonal change on the screen and now it's just stand-up except that it still kept the shots of like the backstage view like there was no real backdrop to the to the special which is like completely antithetical to everything he's done which you know whatever you can look at it as growth i guess but it it was to me it just is it seems more like um uh an attempt to manipulate yeah, well, I think the main thing, especially when it comes to, like, Me Too shit and, like, um, you know, having, like, real discussions about that sort of thing mm, is yeah. that, like, you think about especially, like, dudes, I think, like, Aziz and Louie, who, they strike me as egomaniacs. I'm going to call I'm gonna yeah. call back to something I wrote on Facebook fucking years ago, and I'm okay. going to say I fucking called it, all right? <laughs> A few years ago... 
I put out I put a post up that was like, how many more autobiographical shows about comedians do we fucking need? How many of these super yeah. camera dr- dramas about comedy do we need? Yeah. And a lot of people fucking fought with me, and they were like, what? I think it's you know it's interesting to hear about these people's lives. Yeah. And I was like, no. This is a trend. It's gonna. There's a bubble. It's gonna burst at some point. Louis started this. Now everyone's doing it, and it's not that interesting anymore. But it is very attractive to the comedians. Yeah. Everyone wants to fucking do that. And to me, it's a little bit navel gazing and narcissistic. Mm-hmm. And to me, that seems symptomatic of people like Louis and Aziz when they get told, "Hey, you might not be able to do this anymore because there's a more serious problem we need to yeah. work out with you." That's the end of the world. And he phrased Aziz it as literally like, said, I saw the edge of what was it? And he's like, and it felt like I died. Felt like I died. <laughs> the and possibility he, of not being able to do stand up. And then he goes, in a lot of ways, I did die. Yeah. You know? Just so fucking like, dramatic. No, you just, yeah. it's just comedy. You just get, it's just a thing that you get on stage. Yeah. It's fun or whatever, but it's art, man. It's not like, you know, you don't have a fucking right well, to it. Well, it's just whatever, like a yeah. weird, inti- like, well, first I'm going to disagree with you a little bit in terms of like the navel gazing thing. I don't. I don't necessarily think that uh, personal comedy is like bad or not possibly good. As, as a matter of fact, I think a lot of what people think of like a rush to book diversely is actually a rush to book different points of view. Yeah, sure. Because there, people want and want to book um, more relatable experiences. I would say partially because maybe this is what you're getting at. That is the kind of gross part about that, which is the fact that so many comedy audiences are looking to find themselves projected on stage, you know, like to find this person, like comics or comedy that reflects their point of view and worldview and whatever, as opposed to coming to art and being like, I'm here to see what the artist made, (laughs) you know what I mean? And then like take it in and see what it is. There's something about comedy and maybe it's that it's one person speaking directly to you or whatever. But I would say that the problem is not from the comics like ego point i and maybe this is like me loving comics too much and always wanting to see the best thing (laughs) but i would say it's from like in general i'm just gonna say americans because i'm not gonna generalize about other cultures but americans have a real idolization problem you know like uh oh hell yeah we do not know how to appreciate a person's work we have a real madonna whore complex with celebrities yeah absolutely (laughs) and and you know like um i remember like che he like would go on michael che (laughs) would go on these like rants about uh how you know once you're like famous like people feel like they have the right to like your time and your attention and to touch you and to comment on things that you do and whatever and you know it sounds like oh my god you're complaining about being famous what a fucking baby but (laughs) it is true it is true that like um the way that most people like comedy is through idolizing particular comedians it's why they're like why how do we get louis back on stage instead of being like what the fuck does he have to say well i mean like, we're doing that on a, on a like on a yeah. small scale with this parasocial podcast yeah, shit yeah. because like you know we're we're selling this we're selling our personalities to less people but cutting yeah. out the middleman to where it's still like totally. i still get paid enough to live off yeah. of it but it's still the same relationship and like yeah. so, something i've been thinking about with uh with this podcast shit a lot mm-hmm. is that like we are kind of living in like a weird dystopian future that kind of reminds me of something that you would read like about mm-hmm. happening in Japan or some faraway place that oh that could never happen to us but like this podcast shit where you we're like micro celebrities is to me it seems as though we've hit a point where art has 
dropped all pretenses of it being about a product that the person makes and then you like them for yeah. it, right? Because like, you know, back in the day, fucking Prince made music and then yeah. the music was like sonically pleasing. You're like, this and you is bought an actual record. And then you <laughs> yeah. also bought a poster yeah. of Prince you put mm-hmm. on your wall and you loved Prince. Yeah. And it wasn't just like a thing where it's just, you. if you could hear it without the identity attached yeah. to it, it was as good. It was part, the identity was part of it. But we cut out most of the fucking art in the middle of that and it's just this like, idolization sort of worship thing because I mean I'm not I I don't think you're wrong but here's the thing what I would argue with you is like okay at least how I see it because I came to podcasts and to all this shit through stand-up and I think that a lot of the people now are actually coming the other way you know like they find podcasts and then through podcasts get into the stand-up that the hosts do I came the other way I I knew you all first as stand-ups and because of that I started listening to podcasts and so to me there has always been a very clear definition. The reason I've never listened to a Red Scare is because (laughs) I don't give a shit about any person with a microphone who could just talk. And that doesn't mean that there aren't great people that could talk great out there. Yeah. Um, But to me, there are comics who don't have good podcasts and are not good at it and can't build that niche audience, but they're great stand-ups. And there are comics who can build that niche audience and aren't that, and then like give up and stop doing stand-up. We don't have to name names. (laughs) Um, And technically like still consider themselves stand-ups. But in reality, 90% of their effort is going towards the building the podcast thing right yeah, yeah. and then there are those who have to like but to me all, all of these people are comics first and so to it seems like the tack they should take is you it's your responsibility to make time for your art like the podcasting thing to me is actually pretty similar to going to LA to like work writing for a TV show that's not like your TV show it doesn't you're just literally writing for another person right yeah And what happens a lot to these L.A. comics or like comics who move to L.A. to be writers is, you know, now the shows are farther away. It's harder to get off of work to go do stand up. you got to wake up early. So you literally have to put in way more effort to just get back up on stage than you did when you lived in New York or in New Orleans or whatever the fuck. Right. Yeah. And it becomes, I guess they would say unconscious choice, but it's a fucking conscious choice. If you choose to stop pursuing writing stand-up, getting on stage, doing this thing separately from the thing that makes you money and builds you an audience, then you stop being a stand-up. You know what I mean? You continue to be that other thing, a funny podcast host, a great TV show writer, whatever the fuck, right? But they're not, I, I don't conflate the two things. And I think the problem is a lot of comedy fans do and maybe a lot of industry do because also there's just this like, you know, because of capitalism, if you have a fan base and you can get shit, then let's give it a shot with this person, you know? Well, stand up is often feels like the thing that we all love to do that is a completely unprofitable <laughs> yeah, and it's exactly. completely like useless. I 100, I think we've talked about this before where I'm like, everybody needs a day job. If your day job is delivering pizzas or having a podcast or writing for somebody else's TV show or yeah. writing some e-cars, I don't give a shit. Those I are always, your day jobs. I, <laughs> yeah. all, I never thought I'm going to go to New York yeah. or LA and make it big and be a professional comedian. I always Always, my goal was to try to like yeah. write for TV and then you know get to do comedy because I fucking yeah. already had seen how the way it works. This what I've got going now yeah. is like even better. So I'm like career wise very happy with where I got because like yeah. this is just Andrew Yang UBI and then I get to do fucking and have comedy. your freedom on stage. Yeah, yeah. totally. But that being said, yeah. I mean I still have it's hard to motivate myself to fucking do stand up because it's no longer this big question mark. It's not of like, the only driver. One yeah. day am I is this going to turn into a job? Mm-hmm. It's like no. This is now this weird thing that yeah. is like I'm treating like pure art and yeah. not a fucking thing so it's like but isn't that kind of the ideal though right that's why it's such a fucking like Faustian yeah. curse of the monkey's paw thing yeah. you're like I made it and now 
it doesn't feel the way I did when yeah. I was a young, fresh-faced open micer who was like, maybe I'll be, you know, a fucking big comic someday or whatever. Yeah. But it's, I mean, you just develop a weird relationship with, with it where, like, you really have to ask yourself, do I actually like doing want this? Want to do this, Or yeah. did I just want to get famous? Yeah, right? yeah. Because that's why you just keep podcasting yep. and stop doing stand-ups. You didn't like the fucking art. You just want to I think that question is so important that I recently dated a guy who used to be a stand-up and he quit. And then, like, when we went on our first date, I was like oh so you know why'd you quit doing stand-up and he just like looked me straight in the eye and was like you know what man I like looked around one day and I realized I don't actually like doing this and I don't know why I'm broke like just waiting around to do more of this thing I don't like to do and I was like that is so fucking hot and I fucking dated him for a few weeks and then he's still like the worst things about a comic so it didn't work out but it he hooked me with just being so confidently over comedy yeah. <laughs> that I was like that is just the sexiest thing Dude, I've ever Dude I love people who quit comedy. <laughs> yeah, I have man. so many good friends that like because it's, like you can't to me, it's way more courageous than fucking sticking around and doing the same set for four years and never growing and being and just whatever. What are you doing here then? I don't. I don't know. Just taking stage time. Yeah, you're driving people. yourself crazy yeah. on purpose, mm-hmm. and it's like your own fault, you know. And when you, yeah. man, when I fucking talk to comics, like, you know, you uh, there's always a group think. There's always like a bubble yeah. you're in or whatever. When I talk to my friends that quit. They're, they hate everyone except yeah. for like three people yeah. and then you're like yeah you're right everyone yeah. does suck except for those three people but I'm just forced yeah. to kind of work with yeah. everyone and shit totally well but wait so we gotta go back to Aziz for a second okay yeah uh, the main reason we're here uh, because I was thinking about the contradictions like I had one the May Queen and yeah and I had one <laughs> I had one main contradiction or I should say I guess like two bits that really stuck out to me in terms of like they contradict each other like you were pointing out some of these things do but also they kind of like encapsulate separately like two of the sides or problems that are happening in comedy weirdly like early on the special he had a whole bit that was like um, weirdly this thing that he's not the only one to do it I've seen it with other comics of a particular generation but (laughs) um, this thing where brown people or let's say non-white non-male there are women out there doing this i should say yeah who are kind of like um embracing this weird apologist take on behalf of white people right and by which i mean like they are being contrarian to the what they perceive to be like pc whatever world by putting the onus for like soothing disagreements and racial like inequity on the brown person or on the woman you you understand me so he had like a whole bit that was shit what was it it was like he was saying you know what i've done that what you've taken on responsibility for being the one to like i've had be understanding and have the hold the white guy's hand through sometimes understanding sometimes when i do this story about ice yeah i talk about cultural appropriation the perspective of it because i can't change the way i tell it yeah just to fit shit sometimes it's like you know um, this isn't important and you need to understand that like I'm not that offended about it or like other people aren't yeah. and like you know the joke is kind of like it's okay yeah. you know you're kind of calming fucking white folks like a, yeah totally no know. but I don't even mean that like soothing them but he does uh, so the bit I'm gonna fuck it up because I fuck up all the bits so everybody I guess watches he's a special I don't know <laughs> but he he does a bit early on that is about like um, I guess it was like one of, he does several fake outs throughout the thing where yeah. he like does like a thing and then he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. I was making that up. One of them was where he says something about like 
something was done to a person of color and then the person of color like uh, politely talked to the other person about why they disagreed and why they didn't like the thing that they said, right? right? And then he's like, ah, just kidding, of course not. That's not what we do. We put it on uh, on Instagram and it goes viral and we all send hate threat messages, (laughs) like whatever. And basically like makes the argument that... um, let's say bigots would hear us better if we approached them politely about their bigotry uh, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. didn't just like quote unquote try to cancel people and didn't like how so basically saying it's shitty of a brown person to let's say treat a tweet about mistreatment of some like corporation some like employee at a place or something like that when you could just politely speak to them about how they the thing they do hurts your feelings right. <laughs> you know like and consider that they might lose their job and that they might be offended too. And like, how is it our responsibility to do that for you? You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. that that was one the idea behind one whole bit. And then later on, he had another one that was, hmm, it was like, let's see, it was, was it the, the pizza? No, the pizza swastika shit was, <laughs> oh my god I don't, oh Art Kelly so that was good so uh-huh. then um, he had a bit again about Art Kelly but what was funny because he had one in, the, in an earlier special right yeah but that it was actually a really funny bit I thought because he was talking about well so it started with like the stupid dumb idea of like oh, we're all terrible and we could all get me too because we all do bad things and then he's like but you and I think he like names an audience member by name yeah, and he's yeah. like you um, nobody knows what you were doing 10 years ago and like how you were supporting R. Kelly or not but people know I was like it's on tape that I was like R. Kelly rules and I'm hanging out with R. Kelly <laughs> this guy's awesome right and so he, I think, makes like an interesting point about how we are all having to consider the people that we associate with and who we, whose back we have. And we have to think about how like just because this person is nice to me doesn't mean that they are treating everyone else with respect. And because they treat me with respect doesn't mean that they don't say toxic shit in their stand up or in their podcasts or whatever. Um, so I thought it was like he got so close to really addressing the fact that that this like problem that men and especially white men seem to think is like only them being victimized by me too right we're all fucking having to examine our friendships and our past relationships and like our past sexual encounters and he got really close to making like a good point that completely contradicted this other one he did get really close and it is frustrating to watch because yeah. i mean you know how else is he going to get there but other yeah. by other than performing this shit and thinking it well, out, right? But that's but kind of a headliner problem, right? Don't he, you think? Like, they don't really get to work their shit out as much as they should before they make... He said he'd been show. on tour, but then, you know, what does yeah, that even mean? Exactly. It's probably a bunch of shows where everyone's just fucking happy to see you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the thing about that that, uh, that stuck out to me is that, okay, so he's clearly comes from this perspective of having his world rattled by having been called out by call-out culture and shit, yeah. right? And so he's trying to ruminate on it, and he's trying yeah. to make some sense of it. And I I mean, comedians always fucking whittle everything down to, like, you know, we gotta look at every side of this, and, you know, and sometimes yeah. that's, like, good, and I think sometimes it's a cop-out or whatever. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know, he's sort of saying, well, it could happen to you, right? It could yeah. happen to anyone, you know, and I learned from it, and yada, yada, yada. Um, he does a couple things, right, that I think are of note. Uh, the first thing is, like I said, he contradicts himself, right? Because right. he, f- he talks about 
um, your white friends and how they're so fucking woke. It's annoying and all this yeah, shit, yeah, right? Yeah. And they're just trying to get all this applause but then from he, each like, other. Compliments them on being the wokest version of white people or like the best version of white people yeah. so far. And yeah. then he himself just does this one-off joke about how like marijuana is legalized, but all these and black people are still release. in jail. Yes, and I everyone know. claps, and it's like okay. that wasn't a joke. That was just a fucking point, dude. Oh. You just did the thing you're talking totally. about. Totally. Not only that. So do you, you remember the the pizza swastika joke? Yeah. Okay. So if you didn't fucking watch the special, too bad. I'm about to ruin this. I'll put it. It's beginning. fucking dumb. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. So. uh this pizza bit is he basically just starts this bit by being like, did you guys read about this uh, this person getting a pizza that had a swastika drawn on it, whatever, the pepperonis were in the shape of a swastika. And like some of the people, you know, clap like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I think the one that I read was on the Washington Post. Uh, and he points at one guy and he's like, oh, did you, which one did you read? Did you read the one in the Washington Post? And the guy's like, oh yeah, I think that's the one that I read. You know, he full says this. And then Aziz goes, uh, see, I totally just made that whole thing up, and you see how you all go along with it, and people just like pretend. <laughs> you and fools. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> it's like, you were just talking about it, you got me too. And now you're back to you fools. Yeah, and but <laughs> what was weird to me about that is like the point that he's trying to make is like, look at how call out culture and like PC all this shit is bandwagons, right? It's like people jumping on with not enough information because they're trying to seem like they're woke and like they know what the fuck they're and whatever, right? But what that bit actually demonstrated to me was how are you not a Clapter comic? Like, right. this, you, you just talked about how people would just go along with anything. So how do you not see when they are just applauding because they agree with you or because this is the right thing to applaud or because the people around them are applauding or because they're drunk or because, you know, like there's no... Yeah, you're the fucking orchestrator of the thing you're talking exactly. about. The other, and, the other yeah. thing is... Um, you know, you talk about these fake outs he does. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with a domian a while back where mm-hmm. I was talking about this thing where I was like, uh, you know, it's funny that like everybody thinks that comedy is the same thing as truth, but also mm-hmm. like everyone has a different opinion about everything. So how the fuck does that work? Yeah. And his take on it, which and I don't quote him on this because we're drunk in the middle sure, of the night, sure, but, sure. but uh, but I thought it was a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, is that he was like, no, comedy is about timing. It's not about truth. And like mm, the argument yeah. that the truth is completely irrelevant to just how well you time yeah. the fucking thing, I think is something to be considered. And with what Aziz is doing in particular, yeah. Aziz literally, he could be talking about anything and then just do a 180 in the middle of a sentence yeah. and be like, ah, the other thing. And yeah. you know, that and would be an Aziz like, laugh. Yeah. yeah, and then it's just full on. But yeah, no, I agree. And it's um, what I would tell you is where I see truth mattering in comedy is actually the performer good performers they have to be able to weigh their feedback honestly because you know what i mean with like aziz being a clapter comic is like you know um i I feel like we all hear comics let's call them free speech type comics and whatever (laughs) um who like defend um hmm, like jokes being um if they're funny, right? What is it funny over everything? So if it's funny, it doesn't Fuck matter what you're they saying. Can't take a joke. Yeah, yeah, no. It, but yeah. basically, the idea being that if it's a good joke, if people laugh in the room, then that makes it okay to say, right? So they're yeah. saying that their feedback mechanism that makes a joke okay is the fact that the people in this room liked it, right? But then the honesty part comes in examining why the people in that room are laughing. Well, that's the headliner problem, too, is because right. they're fucking paid to see you. They'll laugh right. at whatever you say. Exactly. But then the real problem is that they stop, like, 
acknowledging that. And they're just like, yeah, people laughed. And it's like, yeah, but you didn't think about, are they laughing at you? Are they laughing at the butt of your joke? Are they laughing because they're excited to be in front of a famous person? You know, like there's no, so if you don't, are they laughing because it's yeah. the end of midsummer and one of the cultists is pushing your butt so you fuck the woman harder? Because people laughed in the theater yes, when that they happened. Laughed at that. I know. It's so stupid. It's supposed to be scary, but it wasn't. But it wasn't. It was like it was literally a childish like ooh naked touching like yeah. laughter, and it's like yeah, does that does that make that a good joke? I don't yeah. think it's a good joke. You know, I don't think it was intentional. Yeah, so I think that's where the fucking truth in comedy has to be. Is like if you accept that your feedback cycle is the thing that determines the way that you make your art then you need to be able to identify a good feedback versus bad feedback or what feedback is actually saying. You yeah, know? or just what it means yeah. altogether because, like, that is the same problem we have with these, like, micro-targeted podcasts and stuff like mm. that is that, like, you know, you are adopting the mechanism of celebrity in the way where you, your audience is, you know, is not... It, there's two types of audiences you can have. One yeah. that is a, a fucking open mic audience. It could be literally anything. And that is where you can make it, the argument of like, this joke works every yeah. time in front of fucking no anyone who ever. And then, you know, yeah. and then this like this, um, this niche like cultivated audience that you have, yeah. which is what you have as a headliner. Or what you have is like a podcast or whatever there. Mm-hmm. But then like that really kind of leaves you um, in question of like whether what you're saying is necessarily true. And mm-hmm. there's like, it's particularly relevant yeah. or you've sort of like got stuck in this in an loop. echo chamber. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about just real quick, I don't know the last thing I have here, uh, we're getting close to an hour. Just like, yeah, know. yeah. I got one thing too. Okay. Um, Very short. so my main takeaway mm-hmm. on this is like when these types of guys get canceled and then they sort of try to yeah. skate and like, um, brush it off though as though that is not going to be like a scarlet letter on you forever or like forever relevant to your situation to try to just get back to like imagining that it all went away and I'm just still doing stand up in the form of human of like Mm -hmm. what I am or whatever Um, I think that these guys often find a lot of solace in reactionary culture right reactionary being like the uh, the thread of right wing thought that's entire point of view is not really based on anything except for reacting to cringy liberal shit in Mm -hmm. campus culture and stuff like that so he starts talking about mobs a lot he sort of alludes to this thing that is very common among Mm -hmm. comedians a lot of comedians because there was this like kind of cancel culture thing has been around for a long time have defense mechanisms against it every comic you talk to that fucking works in clubs and it's kind of famous or whatever tell you like oh I don't ever answer anyone on Twitter because yeah. fuck the mob and all this shit yeah. and like <laughs> like it's this this huge you know threatening thing and it's it's, it's cynically formed by people that are trying to take yeah. down you this great comedian at all yeah. times for their own personal gain right? right and the thing that's confusing about that is that it's kind of true because fucking people like, do that to me all the time uh, all these in, it's not not happening <laughs> all these fucking people yeah. I the think it's weird it's like all these like compound media and like come down people think that I'm like an SJW like cancel culture person no I have two very simple rules you raped somebody you probably shouldn't be around women in a show and if you're a fascist that sucks like it's a dumb hacky thing to do but I mean I get fucking people telling me to take shit down all the time I'm a fucking I like fucked up comedy you know I am one of those people I'm kind of a troll yeah yeah Etc. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my point being is that, um, so I, I'm reading this book right now. It's called uh, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, right? It's okay. by this guy, John Ronson. And he talks to a bunch of people who have been canceled 
it came out like a f- maybe a few years ago, so it's yeah. like not even at peak cancel culture or whatever. So but it's like just like publicly dragged or no publicly. <laughs> sort uh, of. I mean, one of the people he talks used, to is yeah. Justine Sacco, who's that woman who was <laughs> oh, on a plane. She tweeted some racist shit or something, right? Well, she tweeted like she if she tweeted what he describes very epithetically as a bunch of acerbic jokes or acerbic or whatever. No, they're edgy yeah. jokes. Are they? I mean, her Twitter was just like. Okay. I mean, it was fucking. It could have. She could have got come boy. Yeah, you know, yeah. she could have been just some fucking person. And then, she she had like fucking 150 followers. Who yeah, gives a yeah. shit, right? But she <laughs> tweeted in the middle of a flight yeah. to Africa, uh, going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Yeah, just yeah. kidding. I'm white or whatever. Yeah. And then she lands on the ground and fucking yeah. finds out the entire world's talking about her. Yeah. yeah. And so he talks about this like, you know, this mob theory. And uh, he traces it back to there's a uh, French anthropologist named Le Bon. I forgot his first name, um, but he's kind of obscure because mm-hmm. um, he got canceled too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> because he he came up with this idea called mob madness. Okay, and the idea was just being that like you know when people get into these groups where they riot or. Mm-hmm when they form unions and revolt and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, no matter what, it's always just when people get together, they're crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, um, was also a eugenicist and did Mm -hmm. things like, um, he would take like dead people's skulls and then like measure them, fill them with BBs or whatever. And like count how many, (laughs) and he would go see the richer upper class people have bigger skulls. Therefore Mm -hmm. they're smarter. Yada, yada. He sucked. Hitler loved him. Fucking Mussolini loved him. Girls loved him. Right. He Mm -hmm. sucked. Um, and, the reason I bring up him and his sort of subsequent, uh, the people that came on his coattails is that the theory of an angry mob is often, I'm not saying it's not real, mm-hmm. but it's very politically advantageous to conservative right wing people. Right. Anytime that they're being threatened, anytime the people at the top are being threatened yeah. by any sort of collective action, mm-hmm. they often sort of uh, frame it as like, oh, there's this fucking you know, mob. Yeah. They're coming with their pitchforks and stuff like that. Totally. And I think that that might be why all these fucking dudes kind of low-key find solace in like the Trump crowd after they get canceled because that's the same ideology. Like They're right. kind of buying into... There's some kind of overlap there between... You know what I think it might be? Um, if you go back historically even farther, um, before we were crowds of individuals, we were like crowds of peasants, right? Who didn't like read and, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like back in like true aristocracy time, let's say, right? In Europe. Um it's kind of, if you want to get into like the real uh, sciencey part of it, it's, it's mostly Foucault, but there's others um, that talk a lot about the way that the idea of a mob was used to control populations, right? Yeah. So that I think before the idea of the mob coming for those in power or in, in spotlight, there was a mob that was manipulated by those in, in power and in the spotlight. And I think that the fear that those people have of the quote unquote mob comes from this like rooted knowledge that if you can manipulate mobs into doing things like obeying you and um, um, I think Foucault's main example is um, when we used to have like public executions and public punishings and like the whole uh, city and whatever town would come bring their children and they would watch a person get hung or get beheaded. Yeah. And it was 
actually, like he argues, it was a tool of the state in which you punish one body right. in, the vi- in the view of all of these bodies and they all simultaneously learn the lesson that this could happen to you and that this person deserves ridicule and punishment, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, public canceling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the canceling was directed from the elite. You understand me? Uh-huh. And so that with the like rise of individualism and like Twitter and more people having platforms and access and whatever, the mob that they created and they controlled for so long now turns on them. Oh, yeah, you yeah, understand me? totally. And I think it's very similar. Like I've never thought this before. So if, I, if I'm getting anything wrong, sorry, I totally just came up with this idea. But <laughs> <laughs> it does ring true to me in terms of like those comics because I think subconsciously they know that if you have the power to manipulate an audience, to make them laugh, to make them uncomfortable, to bring them back to loving you, to make them hate you again, then you know that they can also work as a giant force against you, right? That if they all decide that they don't like you, then that's dangerous, and how do you win them over? Yeah, that's the thing that's so funny about yeah. like, when people get canceled by their totally. own audience. Dude, and when you think about the fact that like um, almost every comic I've ever known has talked about or admitted the fact that they could be doing really well but there's one person in the front that's like arms crossed and they look like they hate you yeah and that's the only person you could see Mm. i think that's a version of that of like you they magnify one a few bad comments into or like some negative critique into like i'm being attacked by a whole mob right right. that's (laughs) that's what i'm getting at is that the the mob is somewhat imaginary yeah for a lot of people because it's not actually like there's not they're actually, not actually organizing and getting you. And like, no one's yeah. actually stopping you from doing anything. Right, All exactly. of these guys have comeback comedy specials. Yeah. Nobody's actually... Louis really, could continue to self-publish for the rest of his life. No and, one's really being yeah. stopped from working, which mm-hmm. is like this weird libertarian thing where they look at it and they go, should people be allowed to not work or whatever? Yeah. And honestly, we can get into this, but I think that's why you need socialism. So yeah, you exactly. You just fucking live or whatever. All right. Yeah. But um, the, the other thing... Sorry, this is my last thing from that yeah. book or whatever. But the other thing that, um, that he talks about is that subsequently, if you look after that, there's another... Uh, there's a thing in the 70s that happened that you know also is like a foundational text mm-hmm. on what we would refer to now as like sort of mob culture gone mad, and mm-hmm. that's the Stanford Prison Experiments, right? Okay. And the Stanford Prison mm-hmm. Experiments, everybody knows, is like in the 70s, this guy got a bunch of fucking college students and yeah. he, he put them in a room and he said, for a week, you guys are the guards and you guys are the fucking prisoners, right? Yeah, we switch it up. And then they went crazy and mm-hmm. the people who were the prisoners assumed the roles of the prisoners and the people who yeah. were the guards assumed the roles of the guards, right? Yeah. And so everyone has created this like conventional wisdom based on what we're supposed to be inferring from that, which is right. that like people will go crazy crazy with power if they're allowed right. to beat up on other people right but that shit's been debunked yeah um so every video from that uh that experiment is all kind of of the same guy mm-hmm. and it's this guy and he's like as he's getting meaner and meaner and turning into more of a nazi he starts to develop more of a southern accent right oh weird yeah and so john ronson um tracked him down mm-hmm. and he interviewed him and he was like, hey, you know, you're like the guy that all of this stuff is contributed is attributed to. No one else in this experiment really like like you're the peak like person yeah. who is supposed to be the example of, you know, of people going mad with power and, and fucking forming, you know, a mob and beating yeah. up on. You know, supposedly this is analogous to like, let's fucking kill someone in like town yeah. square. Right. And the guy goes, yeah, I gave a really good performance, didn't I? And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, well, I mean, it was a long, boring study and uh, nothing was really working and like no one was really doing anything. But I had just watched the movie Cool Hand Luke. Oh, my gosh. And in Cool Hand Luke, there's like this prison 
guy who's like an asshole, right? Yeah. And so he's just like, yeah, I was just doing Cool Hand Luke shit. <laughs> and uh, and then he's like, that's why yeah. the Southern accent, because the guy's yeah. not from the South. Okay. He's like, oh, my God. And then he's like, wow, okay, so this debunks the Stanford prison experiment. Yeah. Then he thinks about it a little while, and he goes, so why did you do it? And he goes, well, I mean, partially because I was bored, but also partially because I thought I was, I was, we were supposed to do that to make the yeah. experiment work. Mm-hmm. So the conclusion being... He didn't go crazy with evil. He went crazy with good. He, he was thought he was like on a. He thought he was helping. Like he right. thought he was doing what you're yeah. supposed to do. So th- I guess the idea that we proposed in this book is like the mob is not powered by evil. The mob is powered by like they think they're doing the right thing. Yeah, and that's why it's like maybe even more dangerous sometimes. You know. Well, I mean, I would say a point that would prove that or agree with that. Let's say not prove it um, is the fact that like a lot of times. How often is, do we see comedians being like defending a joke on the basis of free speech, but they're using that against another person expressing their free speech? Oh, yeah. It's every single fucking time. Yeah. And so uh, what I see a lot of times is that what you just pointed to of like the, the person who's criticizing, like let's say the troll or whatever, who's saying some shit to a comic about this joke they don't like or the blogger who wrote a thing, they... I think it's a version of they're doing the right thing or they think they're helping because what they're doing is also being like, I'm exercising my free speech and I'm giving you feedback and, you know, I'm participating in society. And so I'm taking down the big bad. Yeah. And so it's, it's, you know, it's strange. I don't know. I do think there's like a weird thing there that they have to figure out um, in, in in understanding like fan. I don't know. It's a weird thing. But for me, the last two things are not even two real things. They're just, I guess, throwaway comments about the Aziz thing. But one thing was, um, I just found the overall tone of it really strange in terms of like, it seemed like one of the main narratives in it was complaining about the moralizing of comedy, right? Like saying like jokes were just jokes and like talking about like how now he has to worry about the old jokes that he did and are people gonna like play this and cancel him again and things like that. Yeah. And like how, you know, it's weird. Nobody should be moralizing comedy. But then a whole other narrative is him moralizing comedy the whole time. Yeah. And like, um, you know, painting words and jokes as inherently good and like moralizing things. And so just full of contradictions. But the main thing that um, I wanted to end it on in terms of feedback there is uh, he did not end on a punchline. <laughs> I know. What the fuck? And earlier in the special, he's doing that low talking thing. Yeah. And as a joke, he goes, what if I just ended it right now like this? Yeah. That would be so weird, right? Yeah. And then he just fucking does that like 20 minutes he later. He fucking totally ends it as just like, uh, and that is the conclusion to my special. <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck? Is this a TED talk? What just happened right, right. now? It's so, Nanette, dude. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. Or, or, I mean, you know, I think he also, it sounded to me like he was going for like that second Chappelle special where he's super mm. artistic at the end. Okay, I see. And it just fucking cuts, which I loved, by the way. Yeah, but that's <laughs> not this. It didn't cut. It oh, was it didn't just, work. No, like he. I just meant that's what he was yeah, going for. Yeah, maybe. But it, it just really seemed like just like, well, I finished saying everything I wanted to say. But you, ha- you have to have seen a million comedians that like got into yeah. the low talking thing and they're yeah. like, I'm going to fucking break it down. And yeah, like, you know, yeah. get just get so fucking weird and like guru y about it. It's the like. I was on a show with a guy yeah. doing that like a while back i'm not gonna say where i'm not gonna say <laughs> when but he was like doing a spot you know mm-hmm. and he did like that <laughs> i was like if you're a headliner this works yeah. but if someone has to go on after you yeah. and you're like bringing it down yeah that's fucking weird dude 
Well, and it's just structurally um, when, you know, we're supposed to think of specials as finished products and it's just not, you know, and you hate, I honestly like hate it when anybody's like, this is how comedy supposed to be. All I'm saying is it's fucking weird that you didn't end your goddamn special on a punchline. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Thought it was stand-up. You know how it should have ended? <laughs> he gets sewn up inside of a bear. Uh, and then they and bring in... Fire. Yeah, with all the other canceled comedians. So oh, it like, didn't? Um, so I have some idiot person who, like, I don't know, wanted to be nice to me and give me a gift and knew I like comedy years ago, gave me a record of Aziz's album... The one where, do you remember? So I have it. It's the only (laughs) stand-up album that I have in my house. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's weird. I should throw it away. But um, it's funny because that album, the cover is like Aziz in a suit standing in front of like a stuffed bear. Do you remember it? No. No? We'll look it up in a minute. So it's like old Aziz, you know, like fancy. I told you these were connected. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so (laughs) the new album could totally be like him in a bear suit set on fire by a crowd that's trying to cancel him. (laughs) I'll make that the SoundCloud picture. (laughs) That would be funny. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like we got pretty deep into it. Yeah, I I think that's good. Yeah. Um... All right. Well, I guess uh, with all that said, that was a pretty good, pretty good like rumination on these two weird things and culture that's happening right now. Uh, we should probably announce our oh, yeah. fucking podcast, baby. Yeah, so exciting. So um, I guess we could say um, after being on Pod Damn America a few times, which I've enjoyed a lot. Jake and I decided to start another podcast where we're just going to talk about shit like this. Yep. <laughs> we're um, fight the comedy industry from the inside. Yeah, you know, maybe burn some bridges. Um, so we're going to call it, uh, it is called Why You Mad. We are going to launch it probably in August. Don't hold us so much to that. We're working on it. This is like a coming soon. Yeah, but you know, Gabo, you can follow Gabo. us on Twitter already at, at you ma- uh, Why You Mad Pod. Spelled everything out correctly. Why you mad pod? Um, and we'll, you know, we'll post the free episodes and all that stuff then. But it should be fun. We are gonna try not to make it too angry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it'll be a good mix because uh, you know we both have a healthy amount of bridge burning in us. But also, um, I think I could be the anti-troll to your troll. <laughs> huh? We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll learn plenty about each other. Yeah, should be fun. <laughs> Hope you guys will tune in. Yeah, well, if people uh, really enjoy you on this show, I got a lot of emails Sweet. about you, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll have some listeners to start off with. That's great. I love it when you guys say nice things. Only nice things. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you want, you can follow me at Luisa Diaz Nuts on Twitter. Uh, Diaz y Flores. Oh, yeah, I know. Ten flowers. I know. We should have gone with, like, a real punny name. But, you know, yeah. let's just get to the point. <laughs> well, I like why you mad. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Because, yeah, you guys will see. I think it'll be fun. Um, we're going to talk not just about inside comedy stuff, but just, like, generally stuff people are mad about online, whether it's us or you or others. <laughs> you know why I like that title? Uh. Is because, like, you can be really mad. Yeah. And then that sentence immediately makes you like, so mad. Like, Shut up. You yeah, know? It's yeah, just, yeah. It's totally just, like, just like, what? I'm not just mad. It yeah. deflates the whole thing. Yeah, I, I fucking I. Uh, every once in a while, if somebody's like going off on me on yeah. Twitter. I'll uh, I'll just type thank you for this yeah, at them, yeah. and I got that from Justin Flanagan because uh-huh. he used to do that to me on on fucking Facebook all the time. Yeah. Whereas like I would be like really seriously writing like fucking paragraphs about some <laughs> shit, and he would just go thank you for this. Yeah, and like the sarcastic like sound of his like you can hear his voice, you know. Yeah, it just fucking always made me realize how dumb I was being. You know, and like uh, I think that's a good place to start with the internet because people tend to 
hold on to these fucking, you know, angst yeah. and grudges and, and stuff. Or, and then, like, read stuff as more angry than you really mean it. If, you know, especially when it's, like, those of us who know each other and then we, like, tweet about things and subtweet and all this shit that gets read certain ways. So, um, hopefully it won't be, like, a gossip podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think we're both frank, pretty frank and honest and don't hold back. So, it should yeah. be fun. Yeah, yeah. All right. Why you mad? Coming soon. Check that uh, shit out. Oh, also, I, I gotta plug my own shit. Oh, yeah. You know who I am, <laughs> but uh, fucking uh, the 31st. I got the date wrong when I originally recorded this. 31st. At Secret Loft in Manhattan, me and Alex Patak are gonna roast the shit out of the Democrat debates. I'll put the link to tickets in the info and everything, and I'll tweet it out and everything. But um, if you live in New York, come fucking hang out. Tickets are already on sale. So uh, come watch the debates with us. It'll be fun. We'll <laughs> get drunk. We'll make dumb jokes about Marianne. We'll do all that shit, you know? Woo. All right. Bye. Bye.